This is the human side of healthcare, where we explore all aspects of today's ever-changing healthcare environment. Brought to you by the Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital Council and featuring CEO Stephen Love with co-host Thomas Miller. Now, let's make healthcare human again. And welcome to the human side of healthcare. Steve Love along with Thomas Miller, and we're here to talk about many of the things, obviously, that are happening in our community. Hello, Thomas. Steve, it's been a busy week for you, has it not? Yeah, these weeks are really running together, Thomas. You know, we're all pulling together and working together as a community, but COVID-19 has really upset the apple cart. You were in the same position that you're in now as president and CEO of the Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital Council back when Ebola came to town in 2014, and you worked through this on a much smaller scale. Did you ever have any ideas or just imaginings in your mind of what if something like this got out of control, truly got out of control? Have you ever thought that or thought that you would be in this position that we find ourselves now? No, I really didn't. You know, when you go back to Ebola, and again, I'm not a clinician, so I really rely on talking to the experts and the infectious disease physicians. Let's talk about Ebola a minute. One of them told me there's a very, very high mortality rate, obviously, associated with Ebola. But he also told me hepatitis C is more contagious than Ebola. When I talk to infectious disease physicians now, the fatality rate with COVID-19 is not nearly as high as Ebola, thank God. However, uh, the rate of infection is so much higher as far as the spread, and it's so much more contagious than the flu, according to these experts. So you've got a real shift in dynamics here, Thomas. And, you know, it's just really amazing to me And, you know, I've told you before, I have been through Legionnaire's disease. I've been through SARS, MERS, H1N1. This is really one of the most comprehensive and serious situations I've ever seen in my career. That's amazing. Let's recount the week. Probably the biggest news headline was the governor's action to extend the don't go do non-essential things statewide. Your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I certainly applaud the governor for taking that action. As you know, and this is public information, the Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital Council and our hospitals strongly encouraged that action two weeks prior to him doing it. Uh, So I wish he'd have done it a little sooner. Uh, I certainly appreciated all of his remarks, and I certainly appreciate his executive orders, he really still won't call it, you know, kind of a shelter in place or stay at home because he does still have a few carve outs like religious services. Uh, I wish that it would be a little more comprehensive related to gatherings, but at least it was a big step in what we consider the right direction to flatten the curve. Being on at one o'clock on Sunday afternoon, we would be talking to people who have already made this decision, (laughs) but what would you say to church leaders who are thinking, well, maybe we could put everybody in certain positions in the building and start to try to come back to some kind of normalcy? What's your advice? Well, you know, I think a lot of the large religious groups and, you know, different people obviously have different religions, have already enacted that. 
I know some of the large groups, they're doing everything virtually now. They're doing it. So I think it's only a few outliers where there are people that are actually conducting in-person uh, church services. And I know they say they're going to practice social distancing, et cetera. Uh, it might be something they want to consider. Why don't we go to virtual, especially over the next few weeks, so that we don't take any unnecessary risk. That would just be my advice. Let's do everything we can to try to get people to stay at home. Now, that segues beautifully into the next big topic, and that is the modeling that you're looking at. You have some fresh numbers. Well, you know, there's so many different models out there, the PEN model and, you know, the model that we all looked at originally that we've discussed before, so I won't go back through it. But even this week, there was some modeling that came out of the University of Texas that we looked at. And, you know, all of these epidemiologists are very careful to say, you know, this is an analysis, this is our best guess, but we're not saying that we're predicting the exact surge. But one thing that we find from any of the models, if we stay at home, if we practice social distancing, if we do the kinds of things we've talked about, including washing your hands, uh, et cetera, it will definitely help lower that infection rate. It'll take that curve and help flatten it. And since we don't have, as you well know, any type of vaccine against this now, uh, like we do, say, flu shots, you you really need to do whatever else tools you have. There are two tools that apparently are the best we can use at this time. One, stay at home, try to make this spread as least as possible. And two, do as much testing as possible so that you can ferret out where there may be hot spots and you can try to contain it, whether it be in a senior living whether it be in some other area. We know just by the ships and the cruise lines, they've been like Petri dishes related to this. So more testing, stay at home, flatten the curve. That's really the best we can do right now. Is a surge coming? You know, surge is something that hospitals prepare for, and surge is something that is really defined differently. Let me answer it this way. I don't think there's any healthcare professional uh, in North Texas that would not say we're going to have increased volume, and that could well turn into a surge. And a surge is where you really go beyond what normal expectations would be. For example, during, say, January, February, March, maybe even roll December in that, we anticipate higher volumes and we call it the flu season, and you have upper respiratory problems. That's uh, a real big increase in volume. I'm not saying it's a surge. A surge is when it goes even beyond what you would consider increased seasonal volume, and we well could be in a surge situation in North Texas over the next few weeks. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk more about this and other insights from Steve. We'll talk about the uh, bed capacity and some of the things going on there, the new beds at, uh, that have been put into the Dallas Convention Center, and talk about the preparedness 
of this community to anticipate what he sees forthcoming. And then later in the program, we are going to talk to, I would just have a great interview. This is with Karen Paulus. She's an RN from Texas Health Resources. She's the director of Faith Community Nursing at THR, and she has some amazing ideas of things that we can do at home to keep our spirits high, our attitudes up, and to make it through this crisis. That will be coming up later in the program. You're listening to The Human Side of Healthcare. We have podcasts on all the major podcast players and our email, if you'd like to communicate with Steve and the team here, is radio at dfwhc.org. And we'll be back with more Stephen Love's comments on the current situation right after this. This is The Human Side of Healthcare on 1080 KRLD and the Radio.com app where we feature healthcare's hottest topics and what our North Texas area hospitals are doing to make healthcare human again. And welcome back to the human side of healthcare, Steve Love, along with Thomas Miller. And we're going to continue our discussion in the earlier segment, we mentioned increased volume and the surge, and we're going to talk a little bit about surge just to hopefully help our listeners understand how hard people, county, city, hospital, everyone is working to prepare for the surge. That's the thing that I've observed of just watching this this week is you guys are, and I say you guys, is a great big collective. <laughs> you're part of the team. You're, uh, you're on the email chain, but and you might even define who you guys is, but there is a great effort going on in North Texas to try to get ahead of what might happen if we end up in a situation like, for instance, what's going on in New York or what happened in Italy. So can you take us behind the curtain of that? Well, you know, I think uh, a lot of times you hear uh, on the national media, especially finger-pointing back and forth on who did this, who did this. We're not going to do that. You know, the feds have worked with the state, Governor Abbott and his team. He appointed a strike force uh, and got some really good people on that. Some of those people I know personally, like Dr. John Zerwas, He's a very conscientious, hardworking individual. In fact, he served for many years in the Texas House of Representatives. So, you know, I think the federal, the state, the local, you know, our counties, our county judges, the mayors, the hospitals, all of the first responders, the emergency management teams associated with municipalities, the North Central Texas a regional area council that we refer, uh, trauma that we refer to as the RAC. We're all working together. You know, we're doing everything we can to prepare. You know, it's difficult to know just what volume increase we're going to have. We know it's going to be big. We know you can just look at the numbers uh, at the different counties. We continue to have an increase in the number of cases. Now, Many of those folks won't have to be hospitalized, and we're so thankful for that, but some will. So we are going to have an increase in volume, potentially surge, and we got to all work together as we prepare for this. The big thing people can do to really help flatten uh, or not have that surge as bad is to follow what their municipalities have asked them, stay at home, do things to stop the spread, stop the infection rate. But I will have to say, looking forward, we're preparing for the worst, but we're hoping for the best. 
That's very well said. And part of that preparation was across the TV screens this week of the National Guard assisting in setting up a couple of hundred beds at the Dallas Convention Center. That was a uh, Dallas County and Clay Jenkins behind that. Can you talk about that decision? Yeah, and, you know, the county has a lot more detail on it, but I've been on a lot of the phone calls and virtual meetings associated with it. And, you know, you're exactly right. The Navy has been very involved in that as well. Health and Human Services has been involved. Our county has been involved. Our city and and emergency management. And, you know, they have set that up in the K. Bailey Hutchinson uh, Convention Center to help. Uh, And, you know, you have to decide as you look at this, the types of patients you can put there, the workforce it's going to take. You know, you you hear a lot, uh, Thomas, when you think in terms of surge about how many available beds do you have? How many ventilators do you have? How many PPE, personal protective equipment, uh, medical supplies do you have? But, you know, the big ingredient in all of that are our healthcare heroes, the people that are the first responders, the clinicians, the doctors, the nurses, the people that we owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to. You have to have people to staff those beds. You have to have people that can operate those ventilators, the respiratory therapist, et cetera. So when you look at surge, you have to also look at your manpower your workforce, and how you handle that. So expanding the number of beds is good, but we also have to keep in mind we've got to have good workforce and we've got to protect those workforce. So to any of our listeners out there, if you know a doctor, if you know a nurse, if you know a respiratory therapist, if you know any clinician, send them a note, send them an email, send them a text, and just say two words, thank you. Well said. Thank you for that. So those beds at the convention center, is that something that will be just overflow or is that something where people will be sent now in order to uh, diversify? Well, you know, the beauty of it is there's been good discussion uh, back and forth on do we put lower acuity people there overflow? Do we put people that maybe have been through a bout with COVID-19 and we're looking to see Uh, Are they at a point now where we could isolate them and then give them a test and wait 24 hours and give them another test? Uh, A lot of that uh, is is under discussion as we speak. But we're thankful uh, that we do have those beds, and we are thankful that it's going to help with the capacity. Let's change gears from the clinical and preparation statistics side over to the economic side. We had quite a number come in this week of what was 6.6 million jobless claims. So that doubled. Uh, there's obviously an economic impact. And I know you've said on here before, you're not an economist, but you have carved your path through this industry in the financial sector. So could you comment on that, the economic impact of all of this? Yeah, you know, I'm, we're always talking about the health impact and we're talking about public health. You know, for the business people, especially the employers, the employees, the local restaurant owners, taverns, bars, our heart aches for you. We really do. This has been tragic. It's been a significant economic impact. You, you know, you know what's happened on Wall Street 
you know what's happening with many people uh, as far as putting food on the table, having to file unemployment. I mean, it is a real tragedy. All I can say is let's do everything we can to get through this from a public health point of view and try to get through and, and get on the backside of that curve where we can come out of it at the appropriate time and get people back to work and get the economy going. You know, this is something, uh, and, and I'm an old guy. I've never experienced anything quite like this in my lifetime. You know, I heard my parents talk about the Great Depression, and I heard people talk about the sacrifices that many Americans made when our brave men and women went into war, whether it be World War II or the Vietnam War, uh, et cetera. But I got to tell you, this is taking a bite out of the economy. Uh, and for that, our hearts ache. But let's try to get everyone over this disease and this virus. And then let's all join hands and rebuild this economy. We've done it before. We can do it again. Yeah, this is kind of a reach down in and see what metal you're made of, isn't it? It really is. And, you know, I've talked to many business people, people, you know, in the chambers of commerce, people that uh, their businesses are really suffering. And all we can say is how sorry we are that this has happened. I, I think it, it really has, has taught, you know, some parts of the country, especially uh, in New York, where they're really fighting COVID-19, they call it the beast. I think we can see just how a small virus, the beast, can cripple not only the economy here, but throughout the world. Yeah, it's shown some areas I know that uh, you talk about economic possibilities after this is over. Is there are going to be a number of them getting this country and this world shored up for that we don't have this again? And there will be plenty of opportunities to make money in those sectors. That's for sure. Yeah, and you know, uh, another, if you could look for the silver lining, and that's what we need to do is be optimistic. I was talking, and this didn't really affect the economy per se, but it will in the long run. I was talking to an epidemiologist and an infectious disease person that said, you know, when this is over, people are going to be much more mindful going forward to wash their hands. Uh, and they're going to be much more mindful of thinking in terms of the flu virus and it being contagious. So, you know, maybe out of all of this, we'll have really good improved health habits, personal habits. And from that, that'll benefit the economy because a healthy workforce always benefits the economy. All right, we're going to come back on this special edition of the human side of healthcare and talk to Karen Paulus, who is a nurse at Texas Health Resources, who works in the faith community nursing area. And with everything we've just heard, boy, a little bit of faith goes a long way. And she has some amazing suggestions, not only to tell us about what her program is about, but also to give us some suggestions and ideas about how we can stay on the high side of this as we are going through these ominous times. That's coming up next on the human side of healthcare. We have podcasts on all the major podcast players. Our email is radio at dfwhc.org. The Human Side of Healthcare with Steve Love will be right back after this quick break on KRLD and Radio.com. 
The DFW Hospital Council, along with our over 90 member hospitals in North Texas, are proud to bring you the human side of healthcare with Council President and CEO Stephen Love and co-host Thomas Miller. And welcome back to the human side of healthcare. And we're going to talk about something today that's going to be real inspirational. We're going to talk to Karen Paulus. She's a nurse. She cares about people. She has that servant attitude. She's going to give us some great tips explaining why she's glad to get up in the morning, why she cares about other people, helps other people, and gives us valuable tips that are going to help us as we deal with COVID-19. What gets me up and going in the morning to go to work is the fact that I get to practice nursing at a level that gets to include caring for the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. I like to tell people that in faith community nursing, it has brought me back to the art of nursing on top of the science of nursing. So what does that mean? That means that my practice includes sitting with patients and just listening. And sometimes it's just a matter of being present. And what I mean by that is when a person is sick in the hospital, they're afraid. They have a fear. Having the opportunity to sit and hold their hand and just be with them is another form of nursing care. So let me ask you this, Karen. Based on that, as you mentioned, people have physical needs. They have spiritual needs. We're going through this COVID-19 pandemic situation. We know there's a lot of uncertainty. So religion covers the waterfront. There are many different types of faith. There are some people that are atheists. How, in your mind, can faith community nursing help the people that are anxious, concerned, and upset during this COVID-19 pandemic situation? That's a great question. As a faith community nurse, I have the privilege of being able to first help people understand the scientific language that's coming out, help people understand what does virus mean, how are viruses transmitted, so that when they hear the words wash your hands, they have comfort in knowing that washing your hands really will make a difference. The other piece of this is that as we look at anxiety and stress, What are some ways of recognizing that you need to take a step back and do something? Or what are some different ways of dealing with stress? In faith community nursing, we combine the practice, the traditional practice of nursing with the intentional care of the spirit. And I'd like to point out that religion is a way to take care of the spirit. It is not the only way that we are spiritual people. So with that, there are different ways to address our anxiety and fears. And as I've talked with members of my own faith community, the one plan that I shared with them or formula was educate, plan, and live. So first, educate yourself on information of the virus. And at this point, I'm sure you've gotten more information than you ever dreamed of getting. So then use that information And plan for things of what you're going to do. How can I plan my day? First of all, put routine back in it. Get up in the morning, take your shower, get to work. That's what we've done every day of our life. We're just in a different place doing it. 
or our work may look different. But if we go back to what we're familiar with and have that routine, it will help to bring a sense of normalcy to our day. And then the last step of that is live. Life hasn't ended, it's changed. And if we can reframe it into this is a disruption in our life, we will get past this, continue to live. You can live by interacting differently with people and just changing up the activities of the day while we are required to protect ourselves from a virus that is out in our community. You know, you brought up an excellent point. You know, our life hadn't ended. You know, even if it's stay at home, it hadn't ended. It's really changed. In fact, I saw uh, on, uh, on TV the other day, there was a guy that was a marathon runner. And he lived in an area where he only had a balcony he could go out on. And he actually ran on a balcony round and round until he went a full marathon so he could stay in shape. So those are the kind of things you got to be able to change, adapt, and live. Do you have any other, you know, nuggets you could share with us to help our people understand this is a change, but how to continue to live? Sure. Um, One of the, from a faith perspective, read sacred texts. There are sacred texts in every faith. We have them in the Bible, the Quran, the Torah. We have scriptures that we can use to bring us comfort and peace. So that's first and foremost, or read meaningful passages that just calm your spirit. Another great idea is get outside. I know we've heard this many times, but sunshine and out of doors can really make a difference on your emotional well-being and how you feel. Another idea I got from actually the great state of Alaska is when hope seems to fail, Make a hope board. Put up a board in your house, some things you hope for for the future so that we remember there is a future. That will help to bring some peace of mind because right now I know personally at some points in the day I'm like, how is this going to end? What's going to happen? But the fact of the matter is we will get through this. And what do we hope for at the end of all of this? What's the first thing you want to do when you get to get in the car and drive? Excellent, excellent advice. You know, you mentioned something earlier that really kind of touched me. Every human has spiritual needs. Every human does. Religion is just one part of that. What is your advice to our listeners as they're dealing with this change, as they're dealing with modifying some of the things in their life? What are some spiritual needs that will help them as humans? Some of the things I think of doing are listening to music. There are so many types of music out there, and we know that people relate to different forms of music. Put your favorite tunes on. Take a step back. Watch a movie. Separate yourself from what is going on in the virus world and put yourself in a different setting. Just remove yourself. Yoga is another great way to address this. It helps you relax. It helps you center yourself. And again, it takes you away from the cause of the stress and anxiety. If we look to simple things 
and appreciate the simple things. One thing my family has started is with our evening meal. One, we're not so busy. We actually get to sit down and eat together and talk together. But then we take the time to make a list of three good things that happened in the day. And by doing this, it forces us to move the conversation to the positive and to look for the good things that are still happening. My cup of coffee smelled great. There are a lot of simple things that can still bring joy that cannot be touched by the virus. You know, you're so right. And, you know, you you hear a lot of these stories of things. I, I saw one this morning. Some of the elementary school kids couldn't go to school, but they drew pictures of their teachers and held up signs in their front yard just saying, we miss our teachers and we're going to see them soon. Those are the kind of stories that really show the spiritual needs that we all need to touch, regardless of our religion. Absolutely. You know, staying connected to people is so important, and we're so used to that connection being face-to-face. But let's get creative. How can I connect in different ways. I've seen my college student daughter connecting on social media and the different platforms to see and talk to each other. Um, You know, the simple thing I heard from someone, put Christmas lights on your house. It brings joy and happiness, and it shows people that we're going to make it through this. So it keeps you connected in ways you hadn't thought of. Get a circle of chairs outside. Gather, get in the sunshine, but sit six feet away. You can still talk to your neighbors. It's just from six feet away. We don't have to stop all the great opportunities to connect and show people that we care about them. You know, you're so right. And I was talking to a friend of mine, Karen, that said some of the folks like me, I'm an old guy, are having a little more difficult time handling this than the young people because they're already connected on social media, as you mentioned. They're still conversing with each other the way they would anyway, and they still feel connected even though they may have some changes in their life. So a lot of what you're saying is going to help young people, but a lot of it applies to middle age and older people. So here's another great idea. Let's teach our young people how to address an envelope again. And uh, because I know for my own kids, this is a lost skill. Let's send letters to our senior members of society or our middle-aged folks. You know, getting something in the mail, we're not used to that anymore. And bring back that piece of joy. The other thing is set up phone chains. Take time to call. In my own family, we've established that different times and different days, we're all going to touch base with mom and dad by phone so that they still have that connection. Again, it's just thinking creatively. Can we put signs in our windows? Contact a neighbor to check on your mom and dad or some of the senior members of our community. Again, I can't stress enough, be creative in, in how we reach out. And community is so important right now. And this is the Human Side of Healthcare, a show where the healthcare community around North Texas is reaching out to keep you informed of things that you might not hear in other places. Things like what you just heard with Karen Paulus. So we're going to continue with her in our next segment with more great tips and ideas and conversation about how we can stay connected and mostly to stay positive through these challenging times. 
The full interview with Karen is on our podcast, The Human Side of Healthcare, which is available on all the podcast players. And we'll be right back after this quick break. We're continuing our conversation on how you can empower yourself to have the best health possible in today's ever-changing healthcare environment. This is The Human Side of Healthcare with DFW Hospital Council President and CEO Stephen Love and co-host Thomas Miller. And welcome back to The Human Side of Healthcare. We're going to continue our conversation from the last segment with Karen Paulus. She's the Director of Faith Community Nursing at Texas Health Resources continuing our conversation on how we can use faith and action to stay positive as we all deal with this COVID-19 virus together. Here again is Karen Paulus. I know I said the young people are staying connected by social media, but each age group, as I'm observing, is grieving in a different way. And response to this virus I see it as following uh, the trends of the grief process. And my daughter, for example, she's a good Texas A&M Aggie. For an Aggie, one of the most important things is their ring day. And they canceled ring day for her group this year, and they were going to mail them out. And so I told her, no big deal. We will do something special for you here at the house. It will be commemorated. And she was happy with that. Well, yesterday, Brazos County went into um, shelter-in-place. All of the rings are locked up in the Alumni Association, and they cannot be sent out because it's not a critical need. So while we think really over a ring, these are things that are important to our young people. So there may be some opportunity to help parents recognize that while their young people aren't experiencing the same thing we are, they are going through a grief of their own. Oh, my goodness. That is so touching. My son went to A&M. I can only imagine. And kids who don't get to have proms and graduation. And, mm-hmm. and, and it goes, as you say, through all age groups. And I do think the kids are getting hit especially hard because all of the hopes and dreams and normalcy of just growing up in America has been shattered by this. Oh, completely, completely. And sometimes it's just the small things, and I don't realize until I see her there with a, just a little bit of a tear in her eye. I'm like, what's what's going on? And then she started to explain some of this to me, and she's working on finding a new job, but now with the fears of the economy, is that real job going to be there? What do you tell her? I tell her, first, uh, we are a family of faith. And I tell her that this is a temporary situation and that I just really encourage her to keep up the hope and to keep persevering with her degree that when this is over, her skill as an accountant will still be needed. So our, our, our kids need to hear, keep working on your education, keep pursuing that area of interest. And when this is over, you will be needed and you will be wanted. You know, Steve Love came down the financial path, so I'm sure he could encourage her by uh, telling her to hold the line because the 40 or so years of career that she will have in front of her, she'll be able to make up all of this ground and much more. Absolutely. 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 And then my son, he works in a global uh, setting, and so he's hearing it from all around the world. And he has an economic background as well. And 
his fears are are in a different level. The good thing that he has reassured me with, and and you guys may be able to say differently, but he said, you know, Mom, at least with this economic crisis, we know the cause of it. If we remove the cause, things will recover. It's not a global cause like with the Great Depression. Steve, what would you say to these young people? I would tell kids things have changed in so much today. Even though you may have a general idea what you want to do, Five years from now, what you think you may want to do could be an entirely different new job. I asked a young healthcare executive who was just graduated from Trinity in their master's in health administration, and I asked them, what would you like to be doing in five years? And they said, you know, I really don't know, but I hope it's a job that doesn't even exist today. And it's challenging, and it means that we're moving using all of the newest techniques, and I continue to learn. And I thought, what a creative and great answer. So I think you generally know what you want to do. Hey, when I first started out, I was in finance, and now I'm not even in finance. I'm running a trade association. Flexibility, using your skill sets, and trying to add value are the key ingredients. Oh, I so strongly agree. As a nurse, I've had the blessing to do many different roles. And one of my favorite roles at one point, I used my nursing degree in construction and helped to build a hospital so that it would be patient-centered and also be easier to use for all the healthcare workers. And so it flowed and made sense. So you just never know where your career path will go. Yeah, I talked to a good friend of mine, Thomas, and early in her career, she'd been a critical care nurse. She decided she was going to make a change, and they had set up, because she worked at a big hospital healthcare system, they had set up kind of a day where existing nurses could learn about other things, and she went into the room that they had up on one of the upper floors and sat down and realized she had walked into the wrong room and they were talking about nurses that wanted to go into transplants, heart transplants, lung transplants, et cetera. And she said, I was so embarrassed. I walked into the wrong room. I stayed there. She now runs a transplant center. Isn't that amazing? That's divine intervention. Yeah, that's, I was going to (laughs) say, that's the right turn that you were supposed to make. Exactly. That's right. Do you have other questions, Tom? Oh, of course. <laughs> this is great. Is, is Karen is the number one bottom line thing that you're feeling and hearing from people now, fear? Yes, fear and the anxiety that comes with fear is what I'm seeing most. And it's driving people to do things that they don't normally do, like stock up on toilet paper or buy water. We're all wondering why. And it goes back to when people are fearful and anxious, they need something to do. And that brings up a good point, because if you know anybody who was alive during the Depression, they're in their 90s, basically, upper 80s at least, they always have some food tucked by. How -hmm. will this, do you think, affect us as we go forward in the generation that will never forget this? What kind of changes will it make in our psyche? 
I look to see that, number one, we will all buy groceries and household supplies differently. I can visualize that people will never get down to one left of anything again. Um, we will plan differently for how we stock up on groceries, on cleaning supplies. I can tell you my thought is I will always have two containers of hand sanitizer and bleach wipes available because you just never know. And we will forever travel with hand sanitizer in our car. Let's shift gears for a second to a very important location, and that is the hospital, because everything we've been talking about has basically been focused on not people in the hospital. But Mm -hmm. once you go to the hospital with this, it's serious. Yes, that's a wonderful point you bring up. Not wonderful and a good topic, but I'm so glad you brought it up because as we watch healthcare respond to caring for our patients, one of the policies that has been implemented is the no visitor policy. Sadly, my own family has experienced that this week. My father has been ill and the feeling of dropping a loved one off at the emergency room door and not getting to follow them in and wondering if that's the last time I'm going to see them is not a good feeling. So for the patients to have to be in the hospital in a vulnerable state where they're scared and alone, and then also to have the family at home and separated is causing anxiety as well. And I look back to what we talked about earlier in that we have to be creative of how can we maintain connection and the need to be loved and cared for from a distance. Oh, we hate to break here. This is so good, but we are out of time. Please come over to our podcast where you can hear Karen's full interview uninterrupted. The Human Side of Healthcare podcast on all the major podcast players. And we will be back with another coronavirus update special next week on the Human Side of Healthcare. Have a great week. Stay in and stay safe.